Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Mini Marla Harrington Smith. To be more like that Marla, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marla Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. If you're feeling low, the Joe Marla Show will give you things to talk about. If you're feeling down, then the bearded clown will give you things to talk about. Our guest today is Lucy Easthope, who is the UK's leading expert on disaster planning and recovery. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Is this podcast the biggest disaster you've ever had to deal with, Lucy? I'm, I'm weighing it up right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before we get into it, I just want to um, highlight your name and your job, of which I've already done. But I mean, it's Easthope. Yeah. And it's a lovely name and quite apt, really, because your job is like disaster planning. So you're giving hope <laughs> yeah. to... There's n- absolutely no need to explain that. <laughs> I wanted to. A lady did ask me at a book festival had I changed it and added in the hope, <gasps> which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it, I'm very pleased. I married into it. Oh. I borrowed it, so but I'm pleased with my choices there. Did you, okay. What was your maiden name? Pain. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Bar- it was. What? <laughs> Just wind up. It, no, and, and that would have ruined it, wouldn't Lucy it? Lucy Payne. <laughs> yes. Lucy yeah. Payne, yeah. the expert in disaster. <laughs> Fuck off, is she? <laughs> Yeah, You're so. too busy causing pain to everyone. <laughs> and if you've got that sort of mind, I did at the time. I was that for the first five, six years of my career, and I just sort of, I sort of adopted a kind of share-like approach where I'd just be like Lucy. Yeah. Because otherwise, it was just a real buzzkill to be like Lucy Payne. Um, God love my pain family members, but um, yeah, I'm very pleased with Hope. I married him for other reasons as well. Oh, just like, so that was a side benefit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, he's very pretty. And you didn't see him. He's very pretty. What's his first name? Thomas. If he was called Thomas Shitstorm, <laughs> would you have married him? Also I worked. would have weighed that up. But it also worked. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Catastrophe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would have, I'd have had to think long and hard. Yeah, the name was a big sell in the in the whole getting married thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I didn't realise that would give us so much at the start, but I'm glad it did. Um, it it is as the UK's leading expert on disaster planning and recovery. That has to be up there with one of the like most impressive job titles we've had on the show, so. is it, Tom? I think so. Um, so you've advised on chemical spillages, mm-hmm. volcanoes, yep. fires, floods, terror attacks, the 2004 tsunami, uh, 7-7, Grenfell, yeah. and COVID. Yeah, yeah. That's a fuckload of disasters yeah. that you've helped plan and recover. Yeah. Sorry, you haven't planned it. No, then, well, I've, I've made I mean, lists that had similar on. So emergency planners make lists of things they're going to worry about. And then if they're really, if you're really on the money, sadly, you see things that you are really worried about happen, which is a really hard part of our job, actually. So emergency planners are thinking about it in advance. Obviously, you don't know the specifics or the when and the where. And then you plan to respond. And then where you tend to find me is in the aftermath. So in the recovery and looking at the, the, the terrible hurt kind of thing. Right, how does this work then, Lucy? Where do you begin? Do you begin just by thinking of fresh catastrophes or do you go back into history, find old catastrophes and think, could this happen again? Well, I love, I do love a bit of history. And what you tend to be looking at more for is um, how uh, history would inform you on what people might do. So as soon as you start to get really worried about the pandemic, early 2020, I'm looking at my history books. There's no doubt that you're looking backwards sometimes. So what are we looking at? Spanish influenza? Yeah. Black Death? Even Black Death, yeah. There's there's an old folio that... that, um, Because I I was really worried about kind of social cohesion and how people would turn on each other. There's a lot of good writing on that. Um, And also what comes after a pandemic, which is usually kind of riots and breakdown of civilization and... Just casually throw those ones in. Yeah, yeah. So it's exactly... There's very few surprises if you're a disaster 
planner. The, the thing for baking sourdough probably took me by surprise. But Pardon? <laughs> so in the in the <laughs> in the lockdown, people go, let's bake sourdough. I didn't quite have that as high a risk as I thought. Like, but um, pretty much everything. Else, very. I'm I'm pretty. You, you yeah, yeah. There's not many curveballs in disaster. Zoom quizzes. Did you have that on the list? No, actually, that was that. That's a good one because. A lot of our planning, we got really good for pandemic planning, sort of 2010s, maybe even a bit earlier. After SARS? Uh, yeah, exactly. And actually the internet wasn't very good then, so you just have this idea of the kind of dial-up buffer. And so basically you, we predicted kind of societal breakdown, but of course we had Netflix. So you didn't you didn't have all the... So there were a lot... As, as pandemic planners and disaster planners, you've got more good stuff than has ever really been talked about, I think, because you just didn't expect those things to hold or be as, as effective as they were. But I think one of the sad things in disaster planning was watching people see the Zoom quiz and think, yeah, this will sustain us through. And you're like, no, it'll last three Fridays and then you'll have fallen out with your auntie. And and that was that was kind of inevitable really in this stage this really hard stage the hard yards after a pandemic was always written in the stars this is this is this, it's it's tough now so can we talk about some of the predictions you made you spoke about social cohesion as being an issue explain a little bit more about particularly the pandemic because we've all experienced that recently yeah was it recent? When the yeah. fuck was it? In the general scheme of things, Joe, it's recent. <laughs> it's more recent than the Black Death, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that one. Yeah, so one of the things we would exercise, and that's what planners do a lot, we kind of sit around and if you want to be really, you know, you want to take it a bit more technical, you might war game it or have it on a computer or we use a lot of Lego in emergency planning. Lego? Pardon? <laughs> Just to break the tension. Yeah, just a lot. The boys do. The girls are just like, what are you doing with all the Lego? But anyway, (laughs) there's a lot of Lego. But we, people, so I I use this word exercise and people are like, what do you mean? And so you sit around and work out your response to a scenario. And actually, in my work prior to 2019, you're not so worried about, well, you are, you're very worried about the virus itself, but you're much more worried about afterwards when people are exhausted, when it's been two years, when you haven't acknowledged the bereavement. We haven't acknowledged the sort of mental health toll. We haven't acknowledged the financial toll. And so we actually exercise this stage. And what I say in my book is you kind of, the oxygen runs out of the room when you exercise a disaster like this. You know, year five, we're on our 870th home secretary. It's still miserable. It's still really low. And and people are like, oh, can we just end the exercise? And now we're living that for real. And I think that is hard. That's hard to see because it's the pandemic and then it's this after that's very hard to see. Paul, it says on your website you are the world's most influential matchmaker. So you're like a real-life Hitch. Yeah. Will Smith. Have you seen Hitch, Tom? I have seen Hitch, actually. By mistake, but I have seen it. What do you mean by mistake? But What? It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Wouldn't go that far, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I know know it's your line of work, but fuck me dead. Are you serious? Are you serious? Can I say this? Please. Because I'm a romantic. Are you a romantic? Uh, Uh, Hang on, hang on. There's someone else in the studio today, Paul, who will be answering these questions. That is Daisy. Um, Daisy, I know you don't want to speak on mic. Just open the door and just give us a a quick shouted answer to the question, is Joe a romantic guy? Of all days for my wife to come... Come and see that she's just shaking oh, her head. So no, not really. Not oh, really. Not really. Oh, okay. Not even a chance to like defend myself. Well, you've got a microphone in front of you. Oh, yeah. Your podcast, you can. Okay. Am I romantic? Yeah, can I ask this, Joe? What's the last romantic thing you've done for Daisy? Well, uh, being a romantic is subjective, isn't it? <laughs> not at all. So <laughs> it was our seventh wedding anniversary about f- four weeks ago. Oh, she's gone oh, again. No, she's <laughs> gone again. <laughs> Fucking, she keeps leaving. <laughs> and I bought her um, I bought her a copper pot. I didn't know where that was going to go when you said co. Co. <laughs> when you started. <laughs> well, it was copper. Okay, seventh, that's fine. Seventh I'm, wedding anniversary. Relief is copper. copper pot. So we, we try and keep it traditional, but cost of living crisis and all that lot. We don't want to go too crazy. And plus, we're not really that bothered. But I bought her a copper pot and a bunch of flowers and but the fu- mm. me trying to justify that I am romantic but the woman I try and be romantic with has just come in and said no, no. Yeah. it doesn't matter how I justify it I'm still gonna go am yeah, I a romantic yeah. yes I do love a rom-com yeah but but so alright can we go back to the copper pot really? yeah. <laughs> right. yeah I think we should pull because this is what's interesting is that so love has to be received right so the question is do you believe that her love Daisy's love language is it gifts 
Right. Oh. Because if it's not gifts, she won't feel the love. She won't feel the romance. What a great point. I am disappointed. We recently spoke about each other's love language. You did. So there's so love language. Let's just get into that. So one of them's gifting. Yes, yes. Touch, T- feel. Physical touch. Physical touch. Yes. Actual words, is it? The, the actual... Words of affirmation. This is impressive, Joe. Help, help me out, Paul. A- acts of service. Acts of service. So... Daisy's Daisy just offered to make us a cup of tea. She went down it. She didn't have to. When you say she offered, did we? Didn't you ask her? No, you you asked. <laughs> oh, yeah, I asked her. <laughs> <laughs> but she just did that for you. That's acts of service. But that's an acts right. of service. And um, is there a fifth? Quality time. Quality time together. Mm. Right. So this is interesting that you talked about this. This, mm. I believe, the five love languages. It's a book written by Dr. Gary Chapman, one of the best relationship books ever. So, do you know what her love language is? Hmm. So it's even harder because she's in the building. <laughs> mm. um, Sorry. <laughs> Shit. This is very important. Fuck you, Paul. Um, <laughs> da- Daisy's love language is not gifting. It's not gifts. But you still went ahead with a copper pot. Well, no, because it, it was more of a, just a, a small token of... Symbolic. It was symbolic. We like th- having the traditional wedding anniversary gift, just have a little something. But it's actually useful because it's a, a flower pot. So when I do buy a romantic flowers, <laughs> at least it's something to put it in. Do you know what I mean? No. Um, so, okay, so it's not gifting, but, you know, I try a little bit on that. Um, acts of service. Okay. Don't think it was that one. Uh, words of affirmation. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I'm sweating. In, uh, physical touch. Days, can you just come in and confirm? Because my, my memory's a little bit well, hazy. Well, well, can, can, can we do a little uh, session real quick with Joe before Daisy comes in? Sure. Okay. This is good. This little counseling session. This is good. Oh. So here's how you know what Daisy's love language is. And this is very important. So let me even back up a little bit. This book's actually saved my marriage. My wife's love language was gifts. I thought she was just spoiled. <laughs> so my whole thing was, I'm not going to buy you anything. Big mistake. And what I learned is that her father and her mother, when she was growing up, to show her love on her birthday, on Christmas, when she did well in school, they would hit her off with some gifts, right? And so she learned that that's how I know someone loves me is because they give me gifts. So she starts giving gifts to people because that's how she interprets love. So if you want to find out Daisy's love language... When it's your birthday, when it's the holiday, when she's showing love to people, how does she most show love to the people she loves? She does things. Like, it's more, she, she'll organize a lot more things around people's birthdays and things. So it's more acts of service, I guess. Okay. And then she'll also vocalize, I love you. You're incredible. This is what you're great at. Thank you for a wonderful year. Look how happy you are. This is what you do. Do you know what I mean? So love it. Love hers it. isn't just one this is what my love language is. It, I'd say it's a combination of acts of service and words of affirmation. All right, I love it. And most people do have two or three, right? So if that's how she shows love, chances are words of affirmation, acts of service, are her, that's her love language. So then when you're showing her love, you've got to use the words, right? You've got to acts of service, do things on her behalf, and then she'll actually feel the love. But let's see. Let's see if... if <laughs> let's, let's see if that's actually correct. Can we see? How can the we see if Daisy could come in Has this quick? panned out? <laughs> to, that she's come in... This is the first time Daisy's wanted to actually see if like what I do is classed as work. Daisy, can you come and just confirm what your love language is, please? Let's see what she says. Here it is. Right. Come. Shit! <laughs> so what you're saying is quality time, which was the one language that Joe didn't mention. Oh my! God. So I think I, I I just took that I took that one as a given, um, which is half the issue because you t- sometimes take it for granted. You just because you don't actually vocalise, have these conversations. I'm, I'm with you, Joe. Scrambling <laughs> a little bit here, Joe. If I'm honest. Oh my god! No, I know it is spending time, quality time together because I've spent God knows how long away from her and the kids when we, over the years, have managed to spend time together. It's just... Do you know what I mean? So it's it's so few and far... It's been few and far between that we've then put all our effort into actually making the most of it when we do get it. Gotcha. Paul, as nice as it has been to meet you, um, (laughs) you and Tom crack on. 
I'm gonna. I'm just Ryan. I'm taking Daisy out. Um, see? see, this is it to to watch the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've spoken about the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Ask mine and Tom's stereo. Tom and mine's. Tom and I's? Tom and mine. Ours. <laughs> our stereotype of the construction industry worker. Yeah. Being male over 40. Right, lovey, doing, you know, reading a paper, wolf whistling, all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you're female. Yeah. How? Do, how what sort of response do you get from the site? Is it changed now or is it still quite old school in the fact like oh fucking hell what does she know she's a woman yeah yeah it's totally I mean it's changed for me over 17 years because generally I now work with the same people so there's like the respect is is there and it's just not even an Mm. issue but yeah certainly in your 20s or even there was a period of time where I decided crazily I I was pregnant and I was like I'm going to do project management and I started to build petrol stations never built a petrol station before and was just like I can do this Um, I'm going to build petrol stations yeah is that ever Come to <laughs> no, you're but now, now you mentioned it, Michelle, and this is without in any way denigrating what a spectacular job I'm sure you did. I'm thinking, Joe, most of us know the classic petrol station setup. Yeah, most well, got a roof and uh, some pumps, six and eight pumps. Yeah, yeah. tank underground. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Maybe a small shop as part of the kit. Do you like a small yeah. shop and a petrol station? Yeah, it's normally oh, yeah. a Subway or a Greg. So I've done a Greg Subway and mm. a KFC. They're quite interesting, actually. Go on. Well, so Fucking they kind of. Me now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they are a franchise, so they're quite specific on how they need to be built. Ooh. But yeah, the petrol companies have kind of really tied into the fact that you can make a lot of money by putting a subway next to a petrol station, and even like you know, like a Marks and Spencers. That's always a win. what about a Wild Bean Cafe, Joe? Are you a fan? No, coffee tastes like ass. Is it? Well, I'm a coffee snob, aren't I? And plus, in the Wild Bean ones, people always fuck up the queues. Yeah, they don't know because my queue in the Wild Bean or the they go queue over by the Wild Bean. They're stood there for ages and they're like not getting served, and then they realise, oh, I've got to go to the main queue to then come down to that end. But they're like, for fuck's sake, that's not clear. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> 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 that's my little things that get me through the day. So. So we're talking about, like, I guess, being on site as a project manager. I then had guys, so I, I was doing everything, kind of getting subcontractors in, working with my guys and then, you know, guys that were coming into site. And that was quite hard because working with guys you'd never worked with before, you do get, you get the comments. Um, I was actually explaining to a friend of mine the other day the best one. I had a guy from the council come and I was on a housing estate and I was kind of left in charge that day as a site manager, I think for a couple of days. And the guy from the council came in and was like, I need to speak to the site manager. And I'd had a real, like, shit day. And I was like, that's me. And he was like, no, I don't think you understand. What? Yeah, oh. he was like, I need to speak to the site manager. So I was like, okay, yeah, that's me. So anyway, he walked out and I was just <laughs> like, what a dick. Anyway, he came back like 10 minutes later and before he could say anything, I was like, right, I'm going to have you here. Nice. So I was like, um, do you want the site manager? He was like, yes. So I said, right, I'll give you his number. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the fact he's failed to take on board at, at <laughs> oh, this yeah. point when you've established oh, quite clearly the, you are the site manager. Yeah, I've had, also had someone that, in a separate instance, that said they cannot work with me because they don't believe women belong in construction, which was my own. <laughs> but I gave this guy my Jesus number. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah oh, so hang bad. on, so you gave him your yeah, number? Yeah. Oh, so then I'm hang on, why haven't you kept up with that? <laughs> Doesn't matter, carry she's, on. Sorry, sorry, Michelle's sorry. had a bad day, but she's still going to town. Like, the effort she's putting in oh, now yeah. to I'm really take make a scene down, of this. Yeah. Yeah. So then he's, like, typing the number, and then and I just, like, a wry smile, just, like, picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Super. And it's just, like, I just kept eye contact. And he just, like, he lost it. Like, Fury just, like, stormed out of the office. And I think he had to come back a couple of weeks later and was just, like, grunting at me as we did, like, this site visit. You've got to find things like that funny because, yeah. you know, what you, yeah, it is offensive, but it's funny. Michelle, can you describe to me your usual working setup? Because, Joe, this might be another stereotype, but I'm imagining a porter cabin. Yeah, yeah, at best, yeah. Oh, at best. So, like, when I was building petrol stations, they gave me... Like, this office was probably smaller than what we've got here, and you've got a desk in there. I don't know what they're called. Um, porter bin or something, I don't know. Porter I, bin. I feel like <laughs> I've just made that up. Yeah. Uh, and you'd have you and the site manager in there, and then next to it would be the canteen for the guys or the girls to eat. And it's called the mess. And then you'd have your cup of tea, your papers, your lunchbox, or... Freezing what, cold in your porter cabin? Yeah, like winter's pretty brutal. And where's the toilet? Oh, the porter, the porter loose. 
Oh, it's always just oh, yeah, yeah. You bog know, standard Portaloos. Yeah, Portaloos, yeah. So what, what is the Portaloos set up then? So you'll have Portaloos and if you're really lucky, they'll bring in a ladies Portaloo. I think now they've kind of made it like legal that you have to have a oh, ladies right. Portaloo. And what's really interesting is the site manager, it's classic, anyone, any girl that works in construction will tell you this, they'll come over really excited and they'll be like, so you've got your own toilet? And they'll like wave the key and you'll be like, oh, super excited, at least it'll be clean because... I do not know what guys do in a portaloo, but it is disgraceful. It's not nice, is it, John? Oh, it's just awful. It's just paid by numbers. I'm like, why can't they just <laughs> use a toilet like they must do at home? Or is it like a, I don't know, an outlet? So you get this lady's key and you think you get all excited. The first thing you do is open up and they've used it as a store cupboard. So like oh. everything falls on top of you. So you've got broom handles, you've got like loo roll, and you're thinking, oh, great. So anyway, you get rid of that and then you start using the lady's toilet. And then this was always happened to me. I'd go back the next day. And I'd open it and I'd be like, oof, someone's been in here. And what always happens is whoever's given you the key has also kept the second key. And they're like, I'm going to use that fresh toilet as well. So then it, what it ends up being is like a free-for-all. So then you end up having to find ways of using the toilet, like, because they're quite high, those portalies, mm. for women. They're not really designed that well. So if you don't want to touch anything, I kind of have this this kind of procedure that I do, which is kind of... Yeah, <laughs> I love the detail really of this. Gross, quality if is. you wanted to know this. Yeah. But, uh, is is the, yeah, the, the squat, but you have to kind of get up on the sides and so then your, not, your not touch anything. The, your feet are on the seat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're up on the... Yeah, yeah. You, right, and then yeah. you panic. You get, I get portaloo sweats because I'm like, what if someone opens the door? Because that happens. Then it's a lock. Eye right? level. Oh, it's construction. No. Like, no. Someone's going to try the lock. <laughs> like, classic. And you have this fear of like, oh my God, I need to get this done quickly because someone's either going to open the door or you might get smurfed. Smurfed? What? Yeah. What the fuck is smurfed? I've only really seen it done twice, but it... Yeah, it was pretty horrific. So if you've got a portaloo on site and oh, someone no. just wants to make a joke, they will turn, while someone's in there, they'll turn the port cabin portaloo oh. upside down. So all the blue, you know the blue liquid that you put in a portaloo? That's called smurfed. <laughs> but obviously you're also getting everyone else's like waste all tipped over you. So you'll just see either... No either, fucking way. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, happened on yeah, site. Yeah. It probably wouldn't happen now, but yeah, I think last time I saw it was about 10 years ago and it was it was funny. But um, <laughs> it, it was <laughs> not for the Smurf. Not for the Smurf, yeah. So then someone will just come out. And it's sometimes it's done by, I have seen it done with a machine, which is horrific because, like, yeah, it could be quite dangerous. On Joe Marler's show. You get the opportunity to interview big, big names, mm -hmm. not just in the world of music, in, in the world of film, in all sorts that you get on Radio 1. What are some of the biggest names that you've enjoyed interviewing? I interviewed Brad Pitt recently. Any point during it, you're like, um, in your head, fucking this is Brad Pitt. Yeah, and I just kept talking because he just, he don't, he's a good interviewer, but he's really cool. And Doesn't give anything yeah. away. And I ended up talking about corned beef ash with him. Is he a fan? Never had it. It's my favourite tea. And I don't know how we got on. It's my favourite meal. Corned beef hash is your favourite tea? It's great. Because, right, my mum used to make it every Saturday. We'd go on turf. We'd go to watch Burnley. I'll never forget. It was uh, 5th of December. Pissing down with rain. We got beat 2-0 by Preston North Oof. End. Freezing cold on turf. Most coldest ground I've ever been on. And I come home and you open the door and you can smell it. And mum goes, did you win? I go, no, we got beat. It was shit. She goes, corned beef hash for tea. And you're just like, that's... That's what it reminds me of. So it's my favourite tea. How did that story go down with Brad? <laughs> Not well. He was just like, look at his watch. Because you're in, you're in, you've got like, I think you have nine minutes. And they can't be arsed doing them. They're Who's like, been the biggest bellend? Do you know what? I'm pretty lucky because I think most people bring it for, for Radio 1. They know they've got to be on it. And it's a big audience. But Jason Momoa wasn't nice when I interviewed him. Wasn't? And I love him. Can I say it? I've never really said that before. But he wasn't in nice. his, he wasn't nice. nice. in his yeah. defence, it was in one of those hotel rooms. They call it a junket. He'd done all, and I was right at the end every day, right? And to be fair to him, because he drinks Guinness in that mermaid film, what, Aquaman. Yeah. So I'd come in with Guinness thinking I was being really original, and he just picked it up and put it next to about 20 other cans of that <laughs> some other dickhead had walked in with. Because that was his drink. And he was all right, and he was just ready. And I was, but this was like five years ago when I'd first come down to London, so I was nervous, and he just wasn't very, he just wanted to go. Who was the nicest then? Who's the legend? Ed Sheeran. Ooh. Just so nice down to earth. You can see that, though, yeah. don't you? Like I interviewed Niall Horan from One Direction in the live lounge. I was covering, and then I promised you two weeks later, I'm in the pub with my mates, and Niall Horan's in. I didn't even know, he just come up and went, all right, George. I was like, oh, hi. 
hi Niall, you're right. Fucking in front of my mates from back home. He remembered you. Yeah, and I was like, someone from One Direction felt like Billy Big Bollocks. <laughs> and he's a nice guy. They're all really nice. Have you been starstruck by anyone? Is there anyone you... Who's your idol? I once saw Stevie Wonder. Oh, okay, that's pretty big. In Oxford Street. Where's the uh, Big Mac, sh- Big Apple Shop in? Is it Oxford oh, yeah. Street yeah. or something? One of the Big Apple Shop yeah. in London. Whatever. And I was in London with my missus and we were just walking down the street and there's like this big mob that started as we were walking past the Mac shop, Apple Store, I mean. And I was like, what the fuck? And I turned around and this crowd was starting to gather. And then there was this bloke facing the wall, <laughs> like put in the corner with this secure, like, four, like, heavies around him and this crowd trying to think. And then I, like, double-took and I'm like, fucking hell, days. She's like, what? I was like, Stevie Wonder. She's like, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off, where? And she's gone back, like, thing. And I was like, look, she's, it's Stevie Wonder. And then she was like, oh, my God. Oh, go and get a photo. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. No, it's Stevie Wonder. I'm not fucking going to think. And also, he's fucking plonked up against the wall. Why have they stuck him against the wall? Well, because they were trying to sort out the whole crowd control to then get him in. There was some sort of... So he was facing the wall. Why didn't they give him a dressing room until they'd sorted out the stage issue? Why have they brought him out? Because he just got out of the car. He was going into the Apple shop. They were going into the Apple shop. He was on stage. Oh, he's going to buy something? No, 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 he was. There was some sort of... Oh, right. Oh, I thought he was shopping for an iPad or somewhere. Oh, right. I don't think he needed to just go, oh, take me out for the day. I need to get a fucking iPad. I think they just give... He had something on, but that was a... So that was a bit of a starstruck moment for me where I was like thinking, but I didn't really do anything about it because I was like, poor fucker's just shoved in the corner and everyone's trying to pap him like, oh, this lot. Was he any good? Did he do a little sing song? I don't know. We we had shopping. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't stop. We didn't stop for it. I'd seen him and I'd had my moment and then just left. On that bombshell, uh, Jordan, I think it's time for a, uh, an advert break. Would you mind taking us to the advert break in a professional manner, please? Because nothing else about this podcast is professional. Okay, uh, it's time for the ads, guys. There'll be more of this after we've paid the bills. But that just sounds like normal. That just sounds like you're just naturally talking. That's what you do. Oh, right. So why the fuck do you always fuck it up? <laughs> why do you make me fuck it up when you make me do the ads? Tease, tease don't tell. So adverts in, is when everybody, everybody usually switches off. All the radio stations, by the way, don't switch off. They all play ads at the same time. Oh. So they're always at... What? They're always at 20 past 22 and 5 to the hour. Right? So when you flick through... Nine times out of ten. All the radio stations. All the other radio out. stations will be playing their ads. Is that like an, an agreement? It's a bit of an agreement, bit of a bit of a handshake. Not right. quite, nothing officially, but they all play the adverts. So when I'm in the car and people flip through, I'm like, and they just flip through because they're all pretty much playing the ads at the same time. So what we do at Radio 1 is, I'm being boring here, when we know the ads are on, we've got loads of songs on. Massive banger. <sighs> so we have our what we call red zones. So my producer will say, right, you're not chatting shit here. We've got to get two or three songs on because everyone else is playing ads because we're lucky because we're BBC. So now you're going to go into your ads. Tell people not to turn over. What's coming up after? Why should they stay with you for another three minutes? Hey, you. <laughs> hey, you. Is that Hey Jude? No, not all our listeners are called Jude. So it's, hey, you. There's some adverts coming up. But don't you go anywhere because I'm gonna tell you something naughty. <laughs> Great. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favorite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behavior creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Joe Marler podcast. This has been an unbelievable 20 minutes so far, and now we're really about to get into it. Another 20, 30 minutes or so of basically Joe asking a question and me just talking nonstop. (laughs) Have you noticed that I'll do that as well? I literally don't stop talking. Yeah. Well, actually, talking about what you do, what do you do? Like, how do you put on an event for, like, a boxer? Let's give you an example here to to work at something concrete. Let's say Joe is making his professional fight debut. Okay. What sort of fight? 
If I was looking at Joe, yeah. right, the first thing I would do is I would go, where is this geezer from? Right? So, Joe, where were you born? I was born in Eastbourne DGH, but I live in Heathfield. <laughs> okay, I'll give him somewhere uh, Brighton. Brighton, okay, Brighton, yeah. okay. Well, I would hope that you are particularly well-known in Brighton. Brighton, um, you have a nice following. So what I would do is, is first of all, I would go down and I would create content on the beach in Brighton, right? So I need to show people that you're a beast. I know you're, obviously rugby's your background, but you're still a lump. So I need you in the skimpy shorts up and down the seafront early morning Someone following you on a bike, Could be giving a you some kind of like Rocky Balboa vibes, you know, like, you're going to win, Ruck. You know, that guy. Am right? I on a bike? No, you're running. Fuck off. Yeah, no, you have to run. So then we start talking about your background, your history. What, like, we have to tell a few porkies along the way. Your great-grandfather was one of the best fighters that Brighton had ever. He was a bare-knuckle fighter. He was from Nepal. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, okay. Joe. You let yeah. me do the talking. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah. Fucking, you're promoting. Like, yeah, exactly, it. yeah. He was one of... Best bare-knuckle fighters on the beach. It was the Brighton bomber. You know the pier that's no longer there? Well, when that used to be there... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think we should use the Brighton (laughs) bomber. Cut that bit out, Ryan. Yeah, Joe, at the the press conferences, let me talk. Right, right? yeah. Okay, just just like snarl, right? Actually, I feel like because of the controversy you might come out with, probably go along the lines that you're actually mute Ooh. Right, okay. So I need you to just snarl and growl, right? So I'll go to you, I'll go, look, this guy, you have to understand the history and the pedigree of Joe Marler. Uh. Before the pier disappeared in Brighton, his great-grandfather used to run that pier. They would have bare-knuckle boxing on the end all day. One day, he took out 42 men one after one before he had to stop fighting. Fucking right? hell, did he? No. But <laughs> it was from Nepal, Joe, for fuck's sake. Fuck. They didn't do bare knuckle yeah. boxing in yeah. Nepal. So uh, when we're at the press conference table, yeah. and I say to you, and I go to you, I go, Joe, you're following in your great granddad's footsteps here. This is your moment. Professional debut at the Brighton Centre. We're here. We're going to have this fight. We're going to build up to a big fight at the Amex, outdoors, Brighton Hove, oh, nice. right? Good stadium, and then I go over to you and I go, Joe, Emotional time for you. Are you ready? And you just go. Give us a grab, then, Joe. Well, we'll have to work on that. Yeah, that's yeah, not that but aggressive. It's not, no. Fucking. Ooh, you flared your nostrils. Yeah. That's quite effective. So should I do that? That would be a good look at the head-to-head. I mean, we'll have to find someone that is yeah, absolutely... Who's he fighting? You, no, some absolute plump. Why? Oh, because, one, I don't know if you can fight... Is this fight what you do? You get, what do you mean you don't know if I can well, fight your, or not? It's your pro debut. We can't afford for you to get beat. We need someone that looks the part... That yeah, but I had a granddad that beat up 42 no, blokes. You can't, and also, you mustn't start believing the hype, Joe. Oh, Just God. because I'm sitting there saying that you're a future world champion and your granddad was one of the greatest bare knuckles. You're lying. Possible. Yes. Oh. So don't start thinking that you can fight all of a sudden. Okay, so, so growl, snarl. Growl, snarl. Be humble. Mm. But don't be humble. Yeah, well, you're not saying anything, so you've got no opportunity to be humble. <laughs> oh. Mute, remember? Oh, yeah. So, okay, exactly. So we go from there. So what I would do is then... We've got our fight. We've got our moment. We book the venue. Then we price the tickets. We put the manifest in place. We get ready to go on sale. We build the content. We build the narrative. We build, you know, the social media story. Then we go on sale. Depending on how tickets go in, I may need to do another press conference. I think you're where I might to do ask press you conference. to stick the nut in on on the <gasps> opponent if because tickets are slow. I overestimated the value of Joe Marler. I thought you were actually more popular. I thought you had a bigger fan base in Eastbourne. We may have to go to Heathfield, do some kind of little event, some kind of tour to drum up a little bit of interest to increase tickets. uh, Rag and Bone Man lives up the road. Exactly. He can do... uh, No, Rag and Bone Man is going to do your ring walk. Oh. Okay, because Instead of me? No. (laughs) He's going to sing you out, you dumb. Oh, fucking hell. I was going to say. That's a bit weird. He walks and they go, well, is he fighting? No. So you need to convince Rag and Bone Man that we we haven't got the money for a fee. So he's got to do it out of the goodness of his heart. We start pumping that. Then we're selling the sponsorship. We're already in with the zone. They're our UK. So we're talking to international TV partners about buying the international TV rights. We're putting the undercard together, local fighters. Is he on it? Uh, No. No, but we're looking, at, we're looking at other fighters from the Eastbourne and Heathfield area <laughs> to help us try and sell this thing because it's right now okay. it's flopping at the box flopping. office. Yeah. I'm calling our team saying, give me a first day ticket reports. And they went, seven. 
And I seven. said seven, and that was just really your close family. Yeah. That, that I don't have seven you. close family. No, That'd friends, be three, Eddie, I think. Friends. Yeah. Well, look, maybe a couple of these guys out here, I don't know. Like, I don't know. But Okay. So now we're in trouble. We, and we really start having... Why is it a we now? thing now? Because it's your you fault. Yeah, but you led on all... You told me to shut up. Yeah. You led on it. But... It flopped. I it, feel surely like it's you when still. we get two or three weeks out, if we're struggling as bad as this story goes, then maybe you've received some kind of cure that means you can now talk. <gasps> and that that's... I think that's a like big a miracle story. healing. Yes. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, this is a, a this is a you know a global miracle that we've seen here. Fighter that couldn't speak can now speak, and now you've got to go into it at a press conference. You've got like we're struggling. In fact, we may have to pull the fight. Can I make a suggestion, Eddie? Um, you are the promoter, not me. But uh, Joe has got a somewhat checkered record with some people in Wales on account of things that have happened in his career. Could we get maybe a Welsh fighter in or have it no, in Cardiff? So people want to see him beaten we up. We get rid of. Like, tickets are going so badly, we get rid of the bloke that can't fight and we find a former opponent or teammate that doesn't like you or you've had beef with in the past, someone you can't stand. There's got to be someone out there that cannot stand you. Like, uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's... Oh, I don't know, I too. But, but then we bring them tickets. So all of a sudden, the bloke who can't fight's gone because we haven't sold a ticket. We say he's injured, he's broken his hand in training. Uh, scared. Yep. Scared. Nice. Got some footage of the great grandfather and just felt From Nepal. That, no, the other one. Yeah, yeah, and felt that no, he's just run, he's escaped the country. He's run yeah, away. Just like genetics, everything. This guy's a beast. Don't want to know. So we bring in a big name rugby or whoever who can't stand you. Yeah, and we we have to put you in a real fight now. Yeah. Because like, otherwise, it's either that or, or pull the show. No, you can talk now. You know. Oh, I can. Talk. Yeah, no, you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck him. So who? If you, I, I want to ask you a question. Now. Go on. If you could have a fight with any former player or player that you played against or whatever it is, yeah. genuinely, yeah. who would it be? It's fucking tough, that. So many. <laughs> <laughs> fucking so many. Do you want to win this fight, John? Like, is there anyone publicly that, like, rather upset anyone who, you, who they know you you two just don't get out? Like, yeah, I can't because stand if you, Hask. Yeah? That would be a great James, James Haskell. Haskell. Yeah. Can't stand. saying now. Like uh, fucking honestly, I want, I want to, I want to fucking, I want to, I want to rip his fucking head off, and I want to shit down his throat. Can I just this? Now we're really on something. Yeah. <laughs> but can I away from the fantasy matchup in Eastbourne? Can I just say that you versus James Haskell is a fucking massive fight? Yeah. Fucking. No, I'm I'm serious. And keep talking because yeah, I've got I, I it's hard. This table's coming. I don't up give quick. a shit where his fucking granddad's from because. Right. It, it makes no difference. But <laughs> Joe Marler's show. I feel just like um, we've got to know you a little bit now. So um, I'll cut to the chase. We were going to do a section called "Who's the Biggest Wanker." <laughs> um, oh, that's easy. It was good. It, oh, really? Yeah. Um, I was going to ask if it is someone whose name rhymes with T's smog. Or someone whose name rhymes with Saab. But um, I'm oh, finished. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten him. He's the biggest wanker. <laughs> is he? Yeah, he's horrible. Is he horrible or is he... Or... No, he's actually horrible. He's actually horrible. The worst person in politics, in my view, in the last like, decade is Boris Johnson, without a shadow of a doubt. Although Liz Truss really gave him a run for his money. Um, <laughs> and, you know, every time I see Quasi Quarteng, I like to shout out the, the appreciating uh, amount of money that he's cost me on my mortgage. You know, I'm not keen on any of them, if I'm honest. However, both Liz Truss, Boris... But are you not... It... Boris, it's not, I'm not even just not keen on them politically. Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng, you could sit down and have a drink with them. Liz is a bit weird, I'll be honest. I, I don't want to hang out with her that much. But, you know, she's not horrible. And Boris Johnson will be perfectly nice and friendly to you. Like, you know, he's not horrible. He'll be nice, he'll be kind to you. In fact, he's just a bit nervous around me. He just, like, kicks his feet like a teenager. Right, so, like, they're not nasty people. They just do nasty things because they've been, you know, I don't know, raised badly. But Dominic Robb is actually horrible. It's like a horrible person. Joe looks a bit shocked here. I'm trying to get my head around whether you're being overly harsh or biased because they're conservatives. Like, if they were Labour... No, no, no. I, I, you know, there's lots of people in the Labour Party I've not liked over the years. Uh, the truth is, is there's loads of Tories that I like. I mean, I started with a very polite story about how I really like uh, Nicholas Soames. He's a lovely man. 
Um, and he's a Tory. I mean, literally Churchill's grandson. Uh, I mean, with the duck house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my granddad was a postman. His granddad was Churchill. It's a wonder we can get on. However, we did get on marvelously well. Uh, so it's got absolutely nothing to do with uh, their political lives. And like, like I say. You know, like, I would happily sit and eat dinner with the vast majority of even the people I said were the worst people in politics because it's my job and everybody hates someone at work. Did you like all of your teammates? You think, oh, God, like, he's a twat. Like, everybody's got, like, an Alan from accounting who they think is a knob, but you still have to sit with him at the Christmas dinner. Like, that's my relationship with them. That's, like, it's a professional relationship. I'm very, very friendly with lots of Tories. The thing is, Jess, with Joe, it's sort of the other way around. He's the answer to that question when it's asked. <laughs> oh, no. It was you. Well, if, it, if you can't identify someone, it's definitely you. Uh, yeah. Couldn't you just could not fucking help yourself with that, Tom? <laughs> could you? It was I made it was small comment earlier about me being the airy fairy one and you the guy that wears buckles, as if that's really cut you deep <laughs> enough for you to turn around and call me a complete and utter cunt like Jacob Rees Mogg. He's really polite in real life. He's really nice. Is yeah. he? Yeah, in real life, yeah. He's nice. I mean, he's not nice in the way that he thinks. Is he? What do you mean in real life? Why is why is he not? Why is he not in real life? Uh, like when I see him, then, oh, he, like, is. What, he is, he is, he is. What you keep saying yeah, in real life? What do you mean? Because Boris in... Johnson isn't the same way you see him. Not at all. He's shy and frightened, like a little boy. So he's not. He's not an absolute twat. Oh, no, he is. I see him as an absolute twat. Okay, okay. But do you think he's like confident and funny and effervescent? Uh, he's not. He's none of those things. I bet you scare the shit out of him, Jess, because he can't talk to women. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's the case. Dominic Raab is the same, like sort of sweaty. And looks uncomfortable. <laughs> but, like, I tell you who's really lovely to have a chat with. Pretty Patel. Do you know, you've, I, I thought you might say that, and I thought, no, you're not going to say that. <laughs> Honestly, if you get in a lift with her, because her, we're, in the, we're in the same block, our offices, always a pleasant chat. This episode is sponsored by the following lovely people. That's the ticket, Tommy Pickett. Cat East Hopes and Dreams. Frankie Hughes goes to Hollywood. The baller, Jordan Blaylock. Hallelujah, it's Josh Buckley. Ken, the mayor. Perry Planted Coulson. Alan, the Burj Khalifa. The only wise Gareth Essex. Ben Wallace. Paul Greeno and Tom Anderson. You can go your own way. Richard Calloway. And the statesman, Robert Hamilton. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. Cows are still sold in guineas in the UK. In guineas? Guineas, yeah, it's like a traditional thing. So if you go to a, uh, especially dairy cow auction, so we're selling dairy cattle, they still sell them guineas. So you can be bidding on something, and you're like, well, that's, you know, two grand, and you've got to work out, well, it's 2,000 guineas, how much is that in pounds, and it's like 2,100 quid or something like that. <sighs> Why? I don't know, just tradition. Still, still, yeah, still in guineas. It's like added work, though, isn't it? It, it is. It's completely bonkers. Because you go, well, how, long, how much did that cost you? Well, it cost me 4,000 guineas. All right, yeah. now I've got to work out what it actually costs you in the real life real money. Real world, yeah. How much is a good cow? A good cow, so... What's it, what's it, oh, sorry, Tom, what, what's the purpose of this cow? We need to be more specific. Are we going to have a milky question. cow or a beef cow? Yeah. Is it for f- consumption? I don't eat beef, but I love milk, so it's a dairy cow. A dairy cow. So it's sort of like two and a half to three grand we get you, you know, a pretty tidy cow. Uh, but then, like, pedigree cows can go for, like, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000. Beef cows into the hundreds and bulls. Really? Yeah. And if you've, yeah, because of breeding, because, like, if you've got a really good cow, so, like, if we took Joe, for example, Joe, Joe's, like, um, this really, you know, good bull. He's got lots of good traits that we want to pass on, okay? Do you? Just bear with me. Okay. <laughs> go, go with it, okay? So, Joe is this really, you know, good bull. We, we want to sort of, like, you know, capitalise on Joe's good traits. Mm. Yeah. So, we're going to send Joe off to a stud. Huh. Okay. So, Joe is going to go to a cattle stud. So basically a farm where there's lots of bulls there with different qualities or the same qualities as Joe. And what we're going to do is we're going to, basically we're going to take the semen off Joe, okay? So we're, hey, what? So, so we're going to have there... So... Hang on, hang on. Do I get a say in this? <laughs> no. How are you taking this semen off me? So 
what from what I've seen is basically from what uh, you've seen. Yeah, what I've seen. Mm-hmm. You go, they go to this place. It's really, it's like stopping in like the best five star hotel. It's everything. Re- it's a five star hotel for balls, or like- yeah, like for balls, and it's perfect. So like, they do things like um, they feed them olive oil. Because they, there was a study worked out that Italian men are quite virile. No, it got, it's got to be more than that. No, no, seriously. <laughs> that Italian why, men... Why aren't they giving them pizzas then? Or no, so what they do... Don't be such a stereotype. So, so, so they reckon the Italian or the... Okay, Mediterranean diet. Let's, let's sort of open it up a little bit. Can I have some out balsamic with my olive oil? You can if you like. So okay, they literally they yeah. tip a litre of that into their food because they think, you know, wow, that's, that's going to make them... A bit more punchy, <laughs> uh, and then so basically they have like a on this particular place. Like a, they don't want to have a female there because of the risk of STIs. So why is that getting blamed on the female? <laughs> Just because she'll be harboring. Go it. with it. Okay. Go with it. So they have like a male who's been castrated, and they spray him with like you know nice smelling stuff. Lead him out. Lead him around the balls. The balls getting really excited. I'm going to go. Mounts it, and there is somebody there, literally with a ready to catch. What's the job that is? Slide it over the, the bull's penis, the bull ejaculates, and it literally just passes it through a hatch in the thing. Through <laughs> <laughs> a hatch in the wall. It goes it? into a lab, and then it would get split up and put into like thousands of straws. What's the And then that's frozen the and taken out to farm. Why a hatch? You want to just pass it to him? <laughs> because it's a sterile lab. Okay. <laughs> obviously, obviously, it's, it's a, a sterile lab. It's a, it's a very and there clean has environment. To be a hatch. Yeah. So then they take Joe's semen and they would potentially they might sex it. So a uh, female sex my semen. Yeah, yeah. So a female has got um, so for dairy cows we want more heifer calves because that's what we want because we want heifers to produce milk. We don't necessarily want bull calves. So we'll sex it male and female. So then we put all the you know the female sperm over there, the male sperm. Goes into tiny little straws, gets frozen, gets some stuff out, and then gets sent off around farms. And it's so somebody's they... job then to in- inseminate the cow. How does the next part of the process work when you talked about the insemination? So that's it's frozen. It's I put in liquid nitrogen. It'd be on the farm somewhere. And then so when a cow a cow comes bulling into heat every twenty one days. So when a cow comes bulling, like all they want to do is basically be fucked. They are, they are literally just gagging for it, okay? So it's really lucky because cows have the same gestation period as, as women. So they're pregnant for nine months as well, is what mm. I'm saying, okay? So so it's really Sorry, lucky. Sorry, thanks for clearing that up. But you looked at me as if I didn't know what that was. But you looked Don't at me as if I thought gestation period was, oh, they eat at the same time. No, 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 no. Right, okay. Right. So they come bulling every 21 days and you want to get this cow back in calf because you want it to have another calf within a, a year period. So you want it to have a calf every year, okay? So, so yeah, so then it's somebody's job who basically comes along, defrosts the semen, puts a hand up the cows. I've trained to do this, so, you know, you basically you, you put your hand up there. How we've gone from hoof trimming to inseminating cows, I'm not quite sure. But basically you, you put your hand in the cow's got, ass. Neil, you've got your, your hand out in front of you. Um, I am actually demonstrating that. How I'll, far up your arm? So you've got your hand out reaching... Depends where a cervix is. Sorry, why, why, did you, why are you putting up her ass? You know, because like... you need to get hold of the... Yeah, okay. You need to get hold of the cervix. Okay, so you hold the cervix in your hand and then you have this, like, metal sheath gun and you feed that through the vagina and then you basically place the semen inside the cow. So then... If she gets in calf, we then have thousands of little Joes, basically, <laughs> running around. Little and female Joes. Yeah. Right. You're putting your hand up a cow's ass <laughs> and actually grabbing their cervix. Yeah, you're picking the cervix up. And then putting a rod Carefully in the vagine. Yeah. yeah, you're feeding it through the cervix and you're feeding it into the right place. You're feeling with this hand where you have to go. <laughs> Our guest today is Charlotte, and she works in airport security. Hello, Charlotte. Hi. You look so surprised that I'm actually really happy to say that. Yeah. You seem really friendly and jolly. Yeah, that is usually the idea. No, I know, but like most of the airport security stuff I come across are like, ugh, fucking put your stuff in the tray, (laughs) or... Oh, fucking take your hat off, will you? I'm like, what? Oh, my God, they're so miserable. It's Why? a hat issue, purely a hat issue, isn't it? Well, I don't like taking my hat off. Oh, do you not? No, not for no woman or man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, airport security. Yes. What airport? Manchester. You look shocked. He out. looks even more shocked. <laughs> I was like, Manchester? <laughs> well, I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know it had an airport. What? Yeah. 
Because I thought mainly just London Heathrow, <laughs> London Gatwick. Wouldn't you just get the train down to London to then fly to other countries? It's quite a long way to get the train. Well, two and a bit hours. I guess that is quite long, isn't it? Manchester's a massive airport, isn't it, Charlotte? Yeah, it's third busiest in the UK. Boom. Is <gasps> mind's blown. Joe, <laughs> I, listen, I need to know at this stage, what are you like at airport security? Apart from the hats issue, are you someone, because there's two different, I think there's two different schools of thought here, Charlotte. You get someone who rocks up, they're good to go. They've got the see-through bag, it's sealed, they've got all their toiletries in there. If they were wearing a belt, the belt's in their hand. They've taken their shoes off already, Joe. They cannot wait to get to the tray. Then you get to the people who get to the tray and it's like the first time they've thought, oh, yeah, I'm a security. Maybe I should... So which one are you, Joe? Neither. <gasps> because I think it's inconvenient to do all that stuff that you need, like the security-based stuff, in the line. Okay. When there's a perfectly normal space for you to do it when you arrive at the tray bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's what that tray bit's for. To that's just... a no for me from Charlotte there. Her face is no. <laughs> she, she went, <laughs> but does that make it less efficient? Yeah, because if you've already got your stuff ready, you literally just put it straight in the tray and you can get straight through and get why pie. do I have to take everything out? It's just so we can see it on the x-ray. If you think about how many, t how many things we see in a bag every single day, if it's cluttered full of stuff, it just makes it easier. So what, what's the issue with the laptops? The laptop's the thing that gets me. Ah, see that? Why can't you see that? That's quite a fuck-off big thing. Because of what's inside it. Like, I, it? honestly, all the intricate things inside a laptop, you have to be able to see inside it properly. You literally have to. If it's in a bag with something else, it's no, you can't see inside it. What, what's the issue with the laptop? Are they, like, dangerous, though? Like, no, but it could be if someone tried to make it. It's oh, a valid yeah. point, Joe. It is quite valid, isn't it? Yeah. But you could make anything, like, dangerous. Well, yeah, so that's why we x-ray everything. <laughs> <laughs> I like Charlotte already, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> to the point, isn't she? The hat issue. Why do you need me to take my hat off? Because how do I know what's underneath your hat? Well, hair. Well, yeah, but if I'm going through that scanner, it'll pick up whether I've got nothing in it. It'll pick up the fact you've got a hat on. Oh, so I'll have to take that off. Yeah. Why doesn't jewellery get picked up, though? Because like, like, I walk through with my wedding ring on. Yeah. And it doesn't buzz. Yeah, because it's a wedding ring, it's fine. How, how, how does that tell the difference between a wedding ring and a hat? Because it, no, because it's a <laughs> scanner. If, you, if, if I'm talking about a scanner. Oh. If you go into a scanner and it scans you with a hat on, it's going to go, what's that on your head? It's something there that shouldn't be there. But how does it know that that's not the shape of my head? I don't think anyone's got a head shape like that. Yeah, but look at his actual head shape, Charlotte. You might have the same issue. What do you mean? <laughs> no, I'm not taking my hat off. Don't... Well, what we don't have the actual airport security. I'm not doing the airport security thing. Do you uh, get stopped, Joe, at airport security? Are you generally, is there an item that you've forgotten to put in the tray? I usually forget my deodorant can. Ah. Oh. But why is that an issue? Is that like, right, okay, Charlotte, what's your biggest bugbear? of people coming through the scanning. What, leaving stuff in the bags? Yeah, like what's... Drinks. It's the drinks. Because when you have to explain to a grown adult that drink is in fact a liquid and they don't <laughs> believe you, right, and it's three o'clock in the morning, you're thinking, am I having this conversation? Someone's argued that a drink Oh, yeah, it? bottle of Coke. It's like, it's a bottle of Coke. I'm like, yeah, but it's still a drink. It's a liquid. Is it? <laughs> and at this point, I think I was about 20, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm having this conversation with someone twice my age. Like, yes, it is a liquid. That's my biggest bugbear. That and when people argue back. Could you, with the liquid thing, because I can see how frustrating that is, Joe. could you almost do like a countdown? Could you say, is your Coke a solid? And they're going to have to say, look at Joe's face. Is your Coke a solid? Yeah, and you say, is it a gas? And We're then talking got... about the drink here. Yeah, I think we should use a different... Is your Coca-Cola a solid? Well, well isn't... Uh, if I'd frozen it the, <laughs> the night before... Then yes. People do this. They go, but it's frozen. What? And I'm like, but no. Does that change it? Yeah. So I can't bring a frozen drink through? No, because you can't. But it's not a liquid. <laughs> but it is at room temperature. But it hasn't come down to room temperature yet. But it's still a liquid in a different state. It's not oh. a gas, is it? Although it has got gas in it. It has got gas in it. Charlotte, I started off on your side, but now I'm gradually going to Joe's side. If, don't say if that. it's frozen, it seems to me to be a solid, but it's got gas in it, so it's actually very far from being a liquid. Joe, what you done to my head? What if I'm? What if it wasn't Coca Cola, right? Or frozen Coca Cola, <laughs> and it's actually a can of um, refillable lighter fluid. So, yeah, that's that is... a liquid and a gas. Yes, liquid. Can I bring that on board? 
No. Why? Because it's, it's oh, probably... Oh, because it's always, liquid. Yeah. Fuck! I'm yeah. getting this rule wrong. So I can't bring ice cubes on a plane? No. <laughs> what are you going to do with ice cubes <laughs> on a plane? Well, sometimes the airlines that I fly don't have ice cubes. Actually, there you go. There's my point. Why can't I bring ice cubes on the plane? But some airlines can. Because that's the airline. It's a supply. It's like you could say, why have all the shops through security got bottles of Coke, yes, bottles of water? that's exactly what I want to know. Because it's a supply. It's screen different. Because you wouldn't be able to run an airport, would you, if there was nothing, no food and drink? Yeah, but I think you lot... Us <laughs> <laughs> lot. Airport, yeah. that was quite a thing. Uh, get, going down the route. You know how like people resent cinemas so hard these days? Yeah. Because they cost a fucking fortune to go to and you're not allowed to take your own sweets or drinks with. You can, though. What? You actually can. I know I found this out not that long ago and my mind was blown as well. You can take stuff to cinemas? Yeah, they don't care. What, what do you mean? Popcorn? Honestly, they don't care. Yeah, you could put anything in your bag to take through, to eat and drink in the cinema, and they literally don't care. Oh, it's just frowned upon? I don't even know if it's frowned upon. I don't care, me. I'll just do it. So why can't we have that same attitude with security? Because we'd be able to get on the flight quicker. So you will be able to when we get the new 3D scanners. Hang on a second. The what? 3D scanners. What do you mean? So this is going to be like more futuristic. Obviously, this is coming into, into play with like the next couple of years. So you'll be able to leave things in your bags. It's going to be so much easier for literally everybody. But that hasn't come into effect yet. So don't be like leaving your stuff in your bag if you're coming in. Will this affect the 120 milliliters? It's a hundred. It's a hundred. Yeah. It's hundred. How much is a hundred, Tom? <laughs> I mean, it's already quantified, so it's quite hard to quantify. I always again. thought hundred milliliters like was massive. Mm -mm, it's tiny. It's tiny. It's isn't tiny. It? You can't really take a lot through. So why no. are you allowing any in I the know. first place? Do you know what I mean? I know. Why? Why is the liquid such an issue? Because like it can be confused as a bomb. It's basically things that have happened in the past. Like, we all know some of the incidents that have happened on aircrafts. Mm. Basically, plans that have been foiled, plans that were put into effect, we're basically going, right, no, what can we do to stop that from happening? So liquids is a big one for that. Same with electricals. If you think about Lockerbie and people saying, like, why do I have to offload my luggage? Because you're not on the plane. Look what's happened in the past, you know? We learn from it and we make it more stringent so that it won't happen again. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity for the last two and a half years to do something. Because um, without you guys wasting your money on this, um, I wouldn't be able to continue to take the piss. Big thank you to Lydia. You've been brilliant so far. Thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, good. Good. Uh, a massive thank you to my lovely co-host, Tom Fordyce. Oh, Isaac. Isaac. Did, did you just sign it? Yeah, okay, okay. All right, enough, enough. Um, seriously, we had a chat. Who was it at uh, the meet and greet? He said, was it Dave? Whose birthday is it? There's, there's a guy. It's over there. It's waving. Dave's 59 today. Dave, 59. Happy Woo! birthday. Big listener to the podcast. And I think you said, um, it's so nice how you two have sort of grown and developed together this warmth. Like at the start, it was quite obvious that there's a bit of like journalist, half fraud of a rugby player. Good. I got it in there before you with the mum joke. Fuck off, yeah. <laughs> um, and the warmth that we have now and the love I have for you, um, that I truly and honestly value you as up there with probably my closest colleague and... Um, <laughs> Long may that continue. In all seriousness, I love you, mate. Yeah, I couldn't do this without you. It's fucking great fun. It's mental, really, isn't it? It is mental. Let's have another one. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and most importantly is, of course, you lot. Because without you lot turning up tonight on a Tuesday night and having a slightly better than average Tuesday than you usually have. Honestly, without you guys, it's nothing. We love interacting with you guys and you being very much part of the podcast. So thank you so much to you guys for coming and making it happen. It's brilliant. Oh my God, I'm sweating my tits off. Those are all lovely thanks, Joe. Um, but there is one person I think all of us would like to thank. When we started doing this podcast, 
you had some doubt in your mind and we've been on a ridiculous adventure and journey and every single time that we meet up to record the podcast everyone involved looks forward to it massively partly because of the great lunches mainly but also because we get to hang out together speak to fascinating people learn loads and make each other laugh so on behalf of the choir and of everybody here a huge thank you to you Jojo Marla thank you thank you good night everyone get home safe thank you for coming thank you bye 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 Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.